Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. We're talking about it's an exam time. Everybody ready for an exam? Everybody excited about an exam? And let me just begin by saying this. First and foremost, I am not speaking to you. I'm speaking to myself. First and foremost, because we're all in the same boat. We're all walking the same walk. We're all living the same life. We're all facing the same challenges. The devil, the world, and the flesh that's out there against us, we all know that. Amen? Amen. Praise God. There's only one person I know that succeeded in perfectly carrying out the Father's will. Anybody know his name this morning? Amen. That's exactly right. He's the only one. So it's exam time. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10 will be our opening texts. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Uh, one day we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's called the Bema some say the Bema, the Bema judgment seat of Christ, which is nothing more than a platform where Jesus is there and he's the righteous judge that will judge our works. This has nothing to do with our salvation, nothing to do with where we spend our eternity, everything to do with the rewards that we receive for our labor here, working for him upon the earth as we live our lives in this body on the earth. So it involves our character, our conduct, our behavior, our motives, our attitudes. Basically the motivation behind the things that we do. Why we do the things that we do. Uh, even good things that we do need to be properly motivated by love. Love directed, love guided so that we can get a reward on the other side. If you recall in the book of Revelation we are told, Blessed are they that die in the Lord from henceforth forever. Henceforth forever. Say the Spirit for their works, to, they cease from their labors and their works will follow them in. In other words, we'll be rewarded for the things that we have done on this earth to advance the kingdom of God and invest in the work of God. Well, knowing this, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that we all should do a spiritual exam or take spiritual inventory to kind of locate where we're at spiritually. Something that we should do probably on a regular basis. Look here, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. This is the New Living Translation of that verse. Notice what he says. Examine your neighbor. No, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. So what is he instructing everyone to do? To test themselves, examine themselves, take a spiritual inventory, in other words, to exactly find out our spiritual condition, to locate where we're at spiritually. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul knew this, and also he practiced exactly what he preached. He understood that it's easy for anyone to fall away uh, by the influences of the world, the devil and the flesh, all the things that we face in this life. And so what he did was his own personal training of himself. Let's read it. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. That's one that won't fade away. 
So I run with purpose. Notice, I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So Paul understood that there was a, a battle or a warfare between the flesh and the spirit. Galatians, remember he said the flesh wars against the spirit. Spirit wars against the flesh so that you cannot do the things that you would. So he understood that. So this apostle, prophet, and teacher, and also author of more than half of the New Testament said, I have a need to daily beat up my body. Think about that. Beat my body up, discipline it, just like someone who is an Olympian athlete who is in training or a boxer who is in training to do a prize fight. I work hard to be certain that I'm in shape. How many times have we heard of boxers that were, let's say, heavyweight champions of the world who took a fight lightly and did not train himself for the fight and lost the fight. Why? Because they were not willing to work hard to maintain their level of strength and ability. And so they lost the fight. And so he, here we are in this fight that we call the fight of faith. We all have the same enemy, the devil, the world, and the flesh. And it's up to us, as Jesus said, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak, to train ourselves, to train our bodies, to Line up with the will of God so that we don't get out of the will of God. So once again, he understood it and so he practiced himself. Now, in the book of Philippians, we see the prize. We see the goal that the apostle Paul had for himself. This is a goal that he set for himself. This is his goal setting. He's the goal setter. And we all should have the same goals that he had. But here's what it says. For my, this is the Amplified, by the way. My determined purpose is that I may know him that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in the same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers, and that I may so share his sufferings as to be tra continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death, in the hope that if possible, I may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead, even while in the body. Not that I have attained this ideal or have already been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of, grasp, and make mine my own. That for which Christ Jesus, the Messiah, has laid hold of me and made me his own. I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own yet, but one thing I do... It's my one aspiration, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. So let those of us who are spiritually mature and full grown have this mind and hold these convictions. And if in any respect you have a different attitude of mind, God will make that clear to you also. Only let us hold true to what we already attain, have already attained and walk and order our lives by that. Now that's a mouthful, wouldn't you say? But we have a revelation here of Paul's goals. And what were they? Number one, I want to know him more intimately and more clearly. I really want to know Jesus better and better. And you know, really, we can get sidetracked when it comes to this. We should all want to know Jesus better and better, more and more. Why? Because he's the one who sacrifices life for us. We all should, number two, want to experience the power of his resurrection, that it exerts in the life of a believer. We're not just talking about power to lay hands on the sick so that they can recover, but power 
manifested in us, as he said, to do what? Transform our lives so that the life of Christ within will manifest through us, through a renewed mind and a disciplined body. As he said, crucify the flesh so that the spirit on the inside can live. So to be transformed by his power into his likeness. And then also to see to it that we attain to the highest level of spiritual maturity. This should be the goal of every believer. Why? Because that's the reason why he died for us. You know, he died not just so that we can have a miracle. And thank God for miracles. But that's not the only reason why he died. He died to change us, to transform us, to conform us into his image and likeness so that we can be as he was on the earth. In verses, it says 12 in your notes, but it's 13 through 14. So you can make a correction if you have the notes there. But look at these verses here. He gives us the game plan. In other words, this is the goal. I want to achieve my goal. For example, right now we understand there are those in the NFL that the goal is to do what? To win the Super Bowl. A prize that will fade away as the years go by, right? But they've worked hard all year long to achieve the goal. But they know what their goal is and they're working hard to attain it. The beauty of the, of the prize that we're looking for and the race that we're running, it's your race that you're running for yourself. And the prize is your prize at the end of your journey. Paul said, I am expecting the prize that, that I sought for, the goal that I set myself to achieve. Because it's my race. I'm running the race by myself, for myself. At the end of it, I'll be rewarded. But... I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own yet. But one thing I do, what is it? It's my one aspiration, my goal, my dream. For, number one, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward or striving toward or forward toward the, that which lies ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. And so number one, and the game plan is to forget the past. None of us can do a thing about yesterday. None of us can change anything that took place even an hour ago. What's done is done. What's happened is happened. You know, last year is gone. Whether it's achievements, whether it's experiences that we had that weren't good, they're all gone, period. They're in a sea of forgetfulness. Now, who's saying this to us? I've got to forget my past. Paul is. And why is he saying that? Here he was, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a teacher of the law. And here is somebody who was highly regarded and highly respected in Judaism. But what is he saying? I've got to forget the past. You know why? Because also he was a murderer of Christians. He's responsible for the death of the first martyr, Stephen. Until he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, he set himself out to, to root out Christianity once and for all. To destroy it. To rid the world of the name of Christ. To declare that he was not the Messiah. He did not die for sin. He was not raised from the dead. That was his goal. Until the day he met Jesus on the Damascus Road and had a 180. And when he saw Jesus in that encounter, it changed his whole heart attitude. But he had to live with himself for the rest of his life knowing that he was killing Christians. Imagine this. See, we don't see this. At Damascus, you know what he was heading to do? You know why Jesus interrupted his journey? He was going to put men, women, and children in jail. And if they didn't recant and renounce Christ, he would have them beheaded. That's what he was going to do. He wanted to destroy Christianity, promote Judaism, and he felt as though that he was doing God the greatest service in doing so. So imagine this. Jesus gets a hold of him and changes his heart attitude. The destroyer becomes the builder of the church. 
So what does he have to do? Forget. Put the past in the past. Leave it in the past. And move forward. And that's exactly what he set out to do. Secondly, strive for the prize. Well, you know, before I get off on that. Is Paul saying for us to do something differently than what Jesus said to do? When he said, forget your past. Because you know what Jesus said in the book of Revelation? I have somewhat against thee. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Repent and redo the first works over. He said to remember. So there are some, in some ways we have to remember where we were. And then remind ourselves how we got to where we are. Repent and then do what? Redo. The three R's. He told the church, he said, look, remember where you were at one time. Remember how you came together and you manifested the presence, the power, and the glory of the living God. He's speaking to a church in your churches. Remember how it was all about allowing the Spirit of God to move. It was about not what people are wearing, not what people are doing, but coming together to truly magnify the living God. Remember that place that you were in and repent. Because how many of you know that God doesn't change and that God doesn't move away from us? We change and we can move away from him. So he said, remember that place. And then he says, repent for you, whatever you did to remove yourself from my will for your life. And then what? Simple. Redo. Just do it over. Just redo the first works. Go back and remember how it was when we walked together. When the power and presence of my spirit was manifested among you. So he's not telling us to do something different. He's just giving us a different angle here. Strive is number two for the prize. What is the goal that he had? He said what the goal was. His aspiration was to even have Christ manifested in him and through his life as he lived upon the earth. Remember he said, I no longer li- I'm crucified with Christ, yet I no longer live, yet I, but not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This life I'm living in the flesh, I'm living by faith of the Son of God, by faith in who he is, by faith in what he's done, and by faith in what he can do through me if I completely yield myself to him. And remember, I'm preaching this message to myself, not just to all of us here. It's for all of us. Number three, maintain proper convictions and attitudes. If we're going to strive for the goal and achieve the goal, what we know the goal is, we've got to maintain proper attitudes and motivation. See to it that we're motivated, as Paul was, to experience the highest level of spirituality in Christ, to be more like him. And finally, to walk in what we know is right. He said, look, here's the attitude you should have. Whatever you know to do, do it. You know, we don't grow overnight, but whatever you know to do right now, do it. Do the right thing right now. Live the right way right now. And then finally, walk in what you know to do. Walk means a course of action that we take. What direction are we going in? And so he says, walk in what is right. Now, the walk of the believer is a threefold walk. It is an upward walk. We could say a vertical walk. It is an inward walk. And then it also is an outward walk. A horizontal walk. So the upward walk. And we're talking about examining ourselves to be certain that we're doing something and everything we can to promote our own spirituality. To see to it that we live our lives in such a way so as to glorify the one who sacrificed his life for us to become what he gave his life for us to become. The upward walk is our personal walk with him. It is getting to know him more and more. Getting to know him better as our heavenly father. 
To know Jesus as our Savior and Redeemer. To know the Holy Spirit as the one who lives on the inside of us. Remember, this is his dispensation. And to be honest with you, we all should receive the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues and yield ourselves to the Spirit every day in our lives because this is his ministry. He's the one who changes us as we look into the word from glory to glory. So if we're not being changed, it's because we're not yielding ourselves to him to do what he would have us to do and to live the way he would have us to live. And once again, this is for all of us to receive. So it's an upward, but then it's also an inward. And nothing is more important than this as well. The inward aspect is talking about who we are in Christ, our identification in him. We just preached a message on our identity with Christ, uh, us being a masterpiece. Remember, if you're in Christ, you are a what? New creation. And you are a what? Masterpiece. You are a work of extraordinary skill and artistry in him. In him, you are unreprovable, unblameable. In him, you are more than a conqueror a world overcomer, and everything that you are in him. So in other words, we see our identity in him. We're not who we are in ourselves. He bought and paid for us, and we belong to him. And this one on the inside, this man on the inside, is a masterpiece, a workmanship, his workmanship, sculpted in his own image and likeness. And by his blood, he made us who we are and what we are. And so therefore, we see ourselves in him, not in ourselves. Not in our own weaknesses, faults, shortcomings, failures, and so on and so forth. But we see ourselves as world overcomers, more than conquerors in him. And the greater one lives where? Inside of us. And what's he able to do? Exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power and presence of his Holy Spirit, who's manifesting himself on the inside of us. So in other words, we are equipped on the inside to carry out the Father's will in our lives. And then it's also, you could say, horizontal or outward. In other words, it, it, it's flowing out from us to affect everyone that we come into contact with in life. We're a part of the body of Christ. We're living here upon this earth. We're to be a shining light and an example to those that are around us to let our light shine among men that they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And this includes everywhere we're at, the workplace, wherever we go, no matter what we're doing in this life. So it's a threefold walk, upward, inward, and outward. And if you're ready for the biggest scripture, I think one of the most challenging scriptures in all the Bible, 1 John 2, 6. It'll challenge you no matter who you are, no matter where you're at in Christ. He that says he abides in him ought himself also so to walk. How? Even as he walked. This is John the beloved speaking by the Spirit, speaking to our hearts and lives and saying, look, if we identify with Christ, then we need to walk. Follow a course of action that exemplifies his. Remember Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and do what? Follow me. So we're talking about a tall mandate for all of us to follow. That's why I say it's for all of us, every one of us here. And you might be thinking, I was wanting an exciting message on a breakthrough because it's a brand new year. This is how you get a breakthrough in a brand new year. Because God's, this is something that's lasting, not something that's just fleeting. So you come to church, get a miracle, get a breakthrough, get a this, get a that. But then you go back out there and guess what? You're with yourself. You're living with yourself. And you're still dealing with yourself. Right? We want to develop spiritually every one of us. And so look in the book of Colossians. Paul, the apostle, knew that this was a challenge. And he prayed this prayer for them with regard to their walk. For this reason, we also, from the day we heard of it, have not ceased to pray and make special requests for you, asking that you may be filled with the full, deep, and clear knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom 
in comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God and in understanding and discernment of spiritual things. Why? That you may walk. Here's your walk. Our walk. My walk. Live and conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. Notice. Walk worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him and desiring to please him in all things. Bearing fruit in every good work. And steadily growing and increasing in and by the knowledge of God with fuller, deeper, and clearer insight, acquaintance, and, and recognition. So Paul is saying, look, this is not an easy thing for anyone to do. It requires prayer because Jesus said, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. So to walk worthy of the Lord involves increasing in the knowledge of God, understanding the revelation of the sacrifice that he made for us, the power of his Holy Spirit within to help us. But he prayed for them why that they would walk worthy. So when it comes to walking worthy of the Lord, and this is where we really get into it, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, the apostle Paul had insight with regard to a worthy walk. Anybody here desire to walk worthy of the Lord, worthy of the God that you serve, worthy of the one who shed his blood? We all should. What is worthy? In, in a manner, in a way that pleases him, in a way that honors him. See, because it's not about us, it's about him and what he's done for us and what he's done in us. But look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, appeal to and beg you to walk, lead a life worthy of the divine calling to which you have been called with behavior that is a credit to the summons to God's service. We've all been summoned to God's service. There's no one that's exempt. There's no one that's left out. Every single one of us has been summoned. Some people think you're just the preacher, so that's why. You're the evangelist, you're the pastor, you're the apostle, you're the prophet. No, every one of us has been summoned. Every one of us has been called to walk a certain way before the Lord and before men. We all agree to that, right? And it involves no matter who we are, no matter where we're at, every one of us is called to walk this way. So it's a walk that's called a worthy walk. What does it include? Look at verse 2. It tells us what, from this point on, he talks about what a worthy walk includes. Number one, it includes humility. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2 uh, makes it very clear. Living as becomes you with complete loneliness of mind, humility, and meekness, unselfishness, gentleness, mildness, with patience, bearing with one another, and making allowances because you love one another. So the first thing is humility. If there's going to be any spiritual progress in any person's life, the very first requirement is what? Humility. Why? Because what was the first sin based on? Pride. What did Lucifer say? I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. So in other words, pride does what it wants to do. Pride does what self wants to do or others wants, to, wants it to do. But humility says, I want to do what God wants me to do. Look at James chapter 4. And remember, James is the half-brother of our Lord who was walking in pride before Jesus appeared to him, who knew it all, who knew his brother wasn't the Messiah, and so on and so forth. But Jesus met him after his resurrection and talked to him, schooled him in certain things. He dropped his pride, and he became a humble person. And this is what he taught. But he gives more grace, wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's more grace. You realize we can have more grace. We don't have all the grace that there is. There's more grace for us to have. We can have the abundance of grace. We're told in Romans chapter 5 verse 17. Okay, so, but God gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Who is the author of pride? The devil. So he says to submit yourself to God by humbling yourself before God. And so this is an act that we participate in for ourselves. 
I must humble myself. I can't humble myself for you. You can't humble yourself for me. But we must humble ourselves for ourselves. Why? Because I want more grace. Because we want to have a greater walk with God. And he'll give us more if we humble ourselves. How many of you remember Naaman the leper? Naaman was told how to get healed of leprosy. Go dip seven times in the muddy waters of Jordan. And what did he say? I got better waters where I came from. I've got on my new suit. I've got all the accolades I've ever experienced and achieved as a warrior in my army. I'm not going to get it muddy in that ugly water there. And so he walked away and got nothing from God. This man has leprosy and he could be healed of it. But what does he do? In his stubbornness and pride, he walks away until his lowly servant says, why don't you do what he said to do and just get healed? Why don't you do that? When he humbled himself and went back to the river, you think God didn't know what he needed to do? First, the first thing he had to do is take off his coat. You realize that's the first thing we all have to do? Set aside our righteousness, which is as filthy rags, and set them down, set them aside. He took it off. He had to dip in once. And every dip, another layer of pride came off, was peeled off of him just like an onion. Until finally he was to the point of complete surrender to God, humbling himself completely. He came up that last time out of the water, completely healed of leprosy. You want to talk about a breakthrough? You want to talk about success, achieving success? That's how he did it. Humility surrenders to God, not self or to others. Look at the part B of of verse 7 again. James 4, 7, part B. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, which is humbling ourselves. And then resist the devil. Pride is demonic. And he will flee from you. Pride is demonic. Pride is the enemy getting us to do it his way. Just like he wanted to do it his way from the very beginning. So what do we have to do with pride? Resist it. Stand against it. Humble ourselves and stand against it. Number two, what's the second thing? Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. And it says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Everybody say unity. Unity means harmony, one with another. So we're to humble ourselves before God and also promote harmony or unity among others. So our walk includes that before God, to humble ourselves before Him, and then also to see to it that we honor others and live a life that will be one of harmony with people within the body. Not just a local church, but the whole body of Christ. And really promoting peace everywhere we go and harmony. Okay, that's number two. Number three, he goes on to say about spiritual maturity. As you look at verses 11 through 15, sometimes we look at these verses and we talk about the fact that there's a five-fold ministry that's out there that's helpful, but what's it going to do? It's going to help promote maturity in the life of the believer. We're all to grow up spiritually, not remain spiritual babes, adolescents, but grow to a place of spiritual maturity. He gave some apostles, prophets, and some evangelists, pastors, and teachers, Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the building of it up. Till we all come, it's for all of us, where in the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or spiritually mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Don't just take anything that comes down the pike. By the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie waiting to deceive but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. There's our target goal. 
that we may grow up into him. So what was the reason for the fivefold ministry? Why do we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? To perfect the saints. Not so that they could just work for him and do the work of the ministry, but to mature in him, grow up in him, speak the truth and love in him until we take on the fullness of the measure of Christ in our lives. So number three, maturity. Number four, it, it involves understanding. A worthy walk is a, a walk of understanding. Here in Ephesians, once again, chapter 4, 17 and 18. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. How? In the vanity of their mind. It's the emptiness of the way they think. Having the understanding, what? Darkened. In the beginning, the fall of man, he began to lose the knowledge of God. And little by little, that light became darker and darker and darker. And so now people are walking as Gentiles in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance. Ignorance will alienate us from the life of God that is in them. And why is it in them? Because they don't know God. Gentiles don't know God at that time. He's talking about Gentiles that do not know God, do not know his ways, do not understand his covenant. Don't, they don't understand anything he has done for them in redemption. So they're living their lives in the darkness and blindness of their minds so, and hearts. That is in them because of the blindness of their heart. They can't see it. They can't understand it. So this walk is a worthy walk as we walk in understanding of who we are and what we have in Christ. What he's done for us. Of the reason why we live. Our purpose for living. The goals that we have. And set out to achieve them. Amen. We're all running our own individual race. And we have enemies that are out there coming against us. And then also it involves love. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. It's a walk of love. Therefore be imitators of God. Copy and follow him and follow his example. As well beloved children imitate their father. And walk in love. Esteeming and delighting in one another. As Christ loved us. Notice that. And gave himself for us, a slain offering and sacrifice to God for you, that it became a sweet fragrance. So now it's the walk of love. This is divine love, agape love. The love of God that shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We're to walk in the love of God, every single one of us. It includes that as a walk. But then also, it includes a cautious walk. It's a walk with caution. Look at verse 15. I know your notes say 17, but my mistake, it's 15. Aren't you glad mistakes can be corrected? See then that you walk how? Circumspectly, which is cautiously, not as fools, but as wise. In other words, we're foolish if we think that we're, we're not vulnerable. Every single day of our lives, we're in a course. And we're heading in a direction. Our walk should be upward. We're heading up toward the things of God. To fulfill our course, to finish our course, to fulfill the plan and purpose that God has for our lives. That's our walk. And along the way, if you can just, let's just say a running track. Anybody ever walk on a walking track or on a running track, maybe around a football field, something like that, and you're going around? It's, it, it's your race. It's your race that you're walking or running or whatever you jog or do. You know, whatever it is that you do. Some jog. Some jog, and that means that, you know, you, you flee when no man pursues. So, but walkers, they just do it slower. You're walking around the track. And it's your walk. Now remember this. The Bema judgment seat of Christ, in other words, we're all going to be judged for our walk, how we conduct ourselves and so on. There we are going on our course. There's going to be a finish line someday. But along that way, we've got the devil 
distracting us, the world influencing us, the flesh rebelling against us, okay? And if we're not aware of it, of the, let's say, the race that we're in and the fight that we're fighting, then we're going to take all that the enemy, the world, the devil, and the flesh bring our way and try to get us off course. It's your race. It's my race. It's your course. It's my course. It's the same devil, world, and the flesh. No one's different than anybody else. But you know what? He may maybe disguise it differently or whatever. But if we allow it, we'll get off course and go down in the wrong direction. No matter who we are. And so Paul is saying, look, you've got to be alert. You've got to be on guard. Peter said the same thing. Be aware. Be diligent. Because your adversary, the enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about sinking whom he may. Who gives him permission to devour him? Don't give him any permission. Stay strong spiritually. Don't get off course. Stay on your course. And when you get hit in the head by the, something he throws your way, don't give him an entry point. Close the door and so on and so forth. But he's saying walk cautiously and redeeming the time because the days are evil. And the next one is submission. Ephesians 5.21. New Living Translation says it this way. And further, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Submit reverence out of reverence for Christ, out of fear of God is the King James Version. Out of fear, God, the reverential fear. Do what? Submit yourself one to another. And he talks about uh, order within the body of Christ. Men submit to the Lord. Wives submit to their husbands. Children submit to their parents. Employees submit to their employers. He goes through the whole list of uh, relationships and says, this is how you should conduct yourself in a way. And remember this, not as an eye pleaser, not when they're watching, but when. All times as if Christ is watching. Make certain that you're aware of that every day of your life. So we need to hear this. I do this once a year, usually at the end of the year, but we had a guest speaker last year, so we didn't do it last week. So I do pray that you're excited about this browbeating we're all getting. <laughs> got your still-told shoes on. I got brought mine. And, and, and I, and exactly, it's for all of us. But here are some questions that we can answer only for ourselves. Number one, so we could set the tone for this new year. So that we can, once again, a day of new beginnings and press forward toward this mark of the prize of the high calling of God that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Number one, answer the question for yourself. Has my walk with God improved over last year, this past year? Have I drawn closer to him? Do I know the Father better? Do I know Jesus better? Do I know the Holy Spirit better? Look at John 17, verse 3. This is what it's all about. This is it in a nutshell. If one were to say, what's my main purpose? Here it is right here. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, know thee intimately. That word know there is an intimate word, know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And how are we going to know him? By the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have all three right here in that one verse of scripture. So eternal life is about knowing him. Do I know him better this from last year than I did the year before? Answer that question for yourself. Number two, has my walk with others improved others meaning other people in relationships and friendships and fellowships within the home outside the home within a church body or whatever look at what the scripture says here in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18 if it be possible as much as lieth in you in other words if it's on you live peaceably with some people the ones you like no all men all men and remember Jesus, when he taught on love, said, even love your enemies. Remember he said to love your enemies and told you how to do it. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those that use and abuse you and speak well of those that speak evil of you. 
is what he sent for us to do. So all men, has it improved? Number three, has my compassion for the lost increased or decreased? Think about it. Over the years, you know, that compassion, that drive to get other people saved can decrease and not increase in us. Look at Luke 10, 19, 19 verse 10 rather. 19 verse 10, look what Luke says. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What is Jesus wanting more than anything else? For the lost to be saved. And guess what? We are his voice in the earth. He wants them to see in us an epistle known and read of all men. As we present our lives, our words, our conduct, our, our character, our attitude to others, it's to draw them into a relationship that we have with Jesus Christ our Lord. And every one of us should live our lives with that motivation. The next, am I contributing to the success or the advancement of the kingdom of God or the body of Christ in the earth? First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, there's certain translations that you can look at uh, that maybe give a little bit more understanding, but it's very clear. As every man hath received a gift. How many men have received the gift? Every man, that includes me and you. Okay, he says, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. How many of you know that you're a steward and I'm a steward of the manifestation of the grace of God? The manifold grace of God means it's diverse. There are different variations and manifestations of the grace of God. You have something I don't have. I have something that you don't have. It's called grace. But it's grace to do what God has called you to do. You may be this calling over here. You may be the evangelist over there. You may be a teacher over here. You may be a worker in this. You may be a musician that does this. Whatever gifting that God has given every one of us, and he's given every single one of us a gift, I'm to use it, you're to use it. For what reason? As a good steward of the manifold grace of God, I am to use it to minister it to the people around me. Whether it's your circle of influence, where you work, where you live, where you play, or where you go to church. God will give us, hold us accountable for what we've done with the gift that he's placed within us. And we're never to allow anyone or anything stop us from using the gift that he's called us to use for his behalf. Next, are my attitudes changing for the better? Look at Ephesians. This is from the living translation of the Bible. Not the new living, but the living translation of the Bible. Our thoughts and attitude must always be changing for the better. Now your attitudes and thoughts must all be constantly changing for the better. I can't think of a bigger challenge than that. Our thoughts and attitudes must all be constantly changing for the better, not for the worse, but for the better. Let's challenge ourselves. Are my thoughts and attitudes changing for the better? What's my attitude like today as compared to last year? Am I setting myself to see to it that I change the way I think so I can be changed from glory to glory. As I said, God doesn't change. He changes not. He's always the same. But you know, if we drift away from him, if we create distance between ourselves and him, it's not because he's changed. It's because we have. And so our thoughts and attitudes ought always to be changing how? For the better. And then also, number six, do I measure my conduct by God's standard or do I use another standard as far as my conduct and my character, my behavior, my attitude? Okay, look at Psalm 119. This is the international standard version of the Bible, ISV. How can a young man keep his behavior pure by guarding it in accordance with your word? In other words, he sets the standard. We set the standard as far as following 1 John 2, 6. We walk even as he walked. He sets the standard for us in his life. And we adopt that and adapt to it. I'm going to live my life according to what your word says. Yes, it's a challenge for all of us. But it's necessary for all of us as well. And so we're 
doing an investigation as far as our own life is concerned. We're doing a spiritual inventory to answer these questions for ourselves, not for somebody else. Take them home and read them over for yourself. I'll do it for myself. But look at the last one. Am I passionate about what God is passionate about? Am I really passionate about what God is passionate about? What is he passionate about? Well, as you read these verses of Scripture, you're going to see hmm, some things. Let's read them. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Wow. I would say he's passionately against the things we're about to read. Would you? He hates them. A proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaks lies. And he that sows discord among brethren are six things. In your notes, you'll see here why. As I put these together, you can read them for yourself. Because he's humble, he hates pride because he's humble. There's no one more humble than Jesus who humbled himself to become a man and walk the earth. Amen? He hates lying. Why? Because he's truthful in all his ways. He hates killing because he's for life and not for death. He hates wicked plans because he's not devious. He hates evil because he's good. He hates false testimonies because his testimony is true. And he hates discord. Why? Because he's for unity and harmony. See, all these things he's passionate about. And notice how they're spiritual things that he's talking about here. He hates lies because of the father of lies. He hates pride because he authorized that. He authored that too as well. So he wants us to emulate his life and not the life of the enemy not the life of the influence of the world or the flesh, but his life. So we need to evaluate ourselves, take a spiritual inventory, write down some things that we need to uh, address maybe and change. Amen? Amen? Let's all stand together before the Lord.